You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, some of you know I came up here from Los Angeles uh, several years ago, and while I was working in a church down there, I met a, a young man named TJ. And you never want to question anybody's motives, right? But TJ was going to join a small group. He went to our website and he scrolled down. The one we- uh, small group that happened to catch his eye was the group that seemed super popular with the ladies. Um, now, TJ, he was, uh, he was a Secret Service agent, really tough guy, looked kind of like a young Vin Diesel, fast and furious, no hair, buff, tattoos. Uh, hadn't had a lot of experience with Jesus. This whole thing was kind of new to him. And had certainly never been in a small group before. So for him, this was a big step to join a small group. And I think he's probably thinking to himself, you know, just in case the spiritual benefits don't really show up for me there, I want to make sure there's some social benefits, right? So uh, he uh, finds this group that's down where all the cool kids hang out in Manhattan Beach. And sure enough, there are lots of women's names there. And he signed up, and they take him in. So Thursday night comes around, it's the first Thursday in Lent, and, you know, he gets all dressed up, and he dashes up the, the path with a bag of chips under his arm, rings the doorbell. Now, there's a little bit of a surprise for TJ. And by the way, it's not easy to surprise a Secret Service agent, but when that door opened, yes, the room was absolutely filled with women, as far as his eye could see. Uh, but they were all over 70 years old. <laughs> As he tells me the story later, he said, George, I had no idea what to do. I mean, everything in my body wanted just to slowly back up. Or, you know, could you, could you just pull the door closed? Or start speaking in Russian and pretend you speak no English, you know? Uh, but the woman on the other side was a delightful old lady, and uh, she just reached out. She said, you must be TJ, and grabbed his wrist and pulled him across the threshold, and he was in that group for good. Um, let me tell you, though, that group worked for TJ like he couldn't have imagined. Turns out, he loved that group, and those women loved TJ. He said it was like I had so many grandmothers. They would bake for me. They would hug me. Most of all, they had all this life experience that they would share it with me. And whenever TJ was in the U.S. on a Thursday night, he would find himself in that little home in Manhattan Beach with his ladies. Uh, you know, um, the Apostle John, who gives us this epistle, First John, uh, would tell us, that's not an accident. This is just the kind of thing that God does, and that this is community by design, an intergenerational community. We're talking about the school of love, and we're finding out today that God will pull us across a generational threshold when he wants us to develop a more mature experience of love. So I want to encourage you to pull out a Bible to open up to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. But you can stay seated tonight because since this is a story of different generations, I'm inviting some generations to come on up here and to read the text for us. Um, I want you to meet some friends, uh, some of our family members. I'm going to ask each of you, please, to tell us your name, tell us uh, your age, if you're willing to do so, and maybe uh, something you love about God, okay? So we'll start all the way down here. Um, my name's Noel. Uh, I'm 12 years old, and I'm in the sixth grade. And uh, what I really love about God is that um, he's really easy to talk to. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Noel. 
Hi, I'm Ella. I'm 17, and I really love God's natural world. Good. I'm Brian Kuhn. I'm 47. Whoa. Yeah, 47. <laughs> <laughs> You're next. <laughs> I can't remember my age. I'm that old. Um, and I love God's mercy. God's mercy. Okay, good. And I'm George Hinman, and I love these guys. God made them. So, And I'm 51, almost 52. All right, so we're going to read the text for you. It's 1 John chapter 2, 12 through 17. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing God's holy word. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. And I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Please be seated. And thank you. Let's thank our readers. <laughs> Everybody is seated already. All right. The point that I'd like to communicate with you tonight is that generations generate mature love. Generations generate mature love. I think this is what the Apostle John is getting at in this text. And I'd like to touch on three aspects of this. Uh, the curriculum in the school of love, a cohort, and the catalyst for mature love. The curriculum, the cohort, and the catalyst. First, let's think about the curriculum. I'd like to suggest that mature love is generated in what I would call love stages. Love stages. As our friends read this text, you noticed that John addresses himself to different age groups in the church. And since early days, interpreters have wanted to understand this message allegorically. Perhaps these different ages that John addresses are symbolic of different stages in the development of love or in the development of faith. And I think that's an interesting uh, idea. He's going in verse 15 to offer an imperative, which is don't love the things of the world, but love God. The, the love of the Father is what he's commending. But you don't just spontaneously do that. There's a curriculum. That is to say, there's a process. There are stages. Just like in our, our regular schools, Kindergartners don't do calculus. Sophomores don't bake cupcakes in class, right? There's an age-appropriate task or learning project. And in the same way, we grow in our capacity to love. A child moves through adolescence to get to young adulthood, and a young adulthood moves through middle age to, to get to become an elder. And in the same way, there are these stages um, to faith development 
and to love. So one writer that has put this into the in, into words um, is Bernard of Clairvaux. I've mentioned him to you before because the title of the series, School of Love, comes from Bernard of Clairvaux. He lived in the 12th century in Burgundy. He tried to articulate what these stages of maturing love actually are, this curriculum. And here's what he said. He said, you know, we're all somewhere in this, in this spectrum that we all start at uh, loving ourselves for the sake of ourselves. That's the first uh, degree of love. According to Bernard of Clairvaux, we love ourselves for the sake of love, uh, self. The next degree of love is we love God for the sake of self. We love God for what he does in our lives. The third is we love God for the sake of God. Now we love him, of course, for what he does in our lives, but we also love him for who he is, just who he is. We love God for the sake of God. And then the fourth uh, degree of love is we love ourselves for the sake of God. Uh, we love God for who he is so much so that we begin to love everything that he loves, even ourselves, for his sake. So you want to hear that again? Let me just go through that one more time. We start off loving self for the sake of self. Then we love God for the sake of self. Then we love God for the sake of God. And then we love self for the sake of God. This is interesting to me, and I found it helpful. It, to me, there are two implications of this process. The first is that it is a process, and, and that our love isn't something we can just say, I'm going to do it today. Uh, but we have to move through the, we have to do the work of cultivating our souls to have increased capacity to love. It's a spiritual process. The second implication is that the truest love is generated by God. This shouldn't be surprising. God's the greatest object of our love, and so our love would be biggest when we have affection for that which is greatest. But it's a little bit of a challenge to see that you can't really love fully, Bernard says, unless you love God. Now, this is a challenge for me. I think I'm at stage two, to be honest, most times. I do love God, but mostly I love him for myself. But let's, uh, let's, uh, let's think about this. Um, this could be a problem if we get stuck here. And I think this is a challenge for us who are religious people. Uh, if we only love God for what he does for us, isn't this possibly just a religiously sophisticated way of loving ourselves? I love God because he loves me. And if that's the only reason I love God, then I'm really just loving myself, and I'm using God to love me. It's not just religious people that have this problem. I think uh, secular people have a similar problem. Um, let's ask the question, why do we advocate for justice? Why do we serve the poor? Well, in the secular world today, we might say, because I get angry at, at injustice. I watch the news and it makes me angry. Um, or we might say, you know, it's not so much that. It's really, it's the right thing to do. It, it, I, the virtuous person, the, the liberal person will um, engage in uh, service will advocate for justice. It's just, it's about virtue, and I, I want to be a person of virtue, and so I do it. The question, though, is if we uh, serve the poor for either of those reasons, to reduce my levels of anger or to see myself as a virtuous person, is it possible that in the end what I'm really doing is loving myself and using those who are suffering in the world towards that end? 
I mean, that, that seems horrible to think about. This is kind of taking it to logical extreme. And yet this is the problem that we get in if we don't have anything other than ourselves uh, uh, for which we live our lives. Charles Taylor says, this is actually the age in which we have this problem. Charles Taylor is a Canadian philosopher who's written the book called The Secular Age. And he argues that the invention of the modern age is a humanism that, quote, accepts no final goals beyond human flourishing, nor any allegiance to anything else beyond this flourishing. And then he adds, of no previous society was this true. He's saying in the modern age, all of us, whether we're religious or not, we tend to think that the highest goal for us is to flourish as human beings. And we think this is what God's highest goal is too, for me to be a happy person. That's all that God wants. And Taylor says, of no previous generation has this been true. Previous generations have always had a bigger reason to live their lives. Now, and this is, explains, I think, the altruism and the sacrifice and finally the love of Jesus Christ. He loves because he loves God as the greatest object of his affection. It's because Jesus loves God that he has the freedom to sacrifice his love for others. He loves the world for the sake of God. Jesus has a stage for love. So the, the curriculum that John is calling to our attention, this idea of moving from infancy to childhood to adolescence to young adulthood uh, to mature adulthood and even elders, uh, as those who are moving through a process of acquiring a deeper, more mature love. That's the curriculum. Secondly, let's think about the cohort. And I'd like to suggest that mature love is generated by people in different life stages. John seems to be writing about love stages, but he also seems to be writing about life stages. In a school, what really lands the lesson are the people, the cohort. John offers this greeting, and he's very explicit. He's not just generic in his address. You know, many New Testament letters address something like this. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Ephesus, grace and peace. John is more specific. He actually says, I'm writing to you, little children. And this is, I'm writing to you, young people, meaning young adults. This is, I'm writing to you, fathers. By the way, that's a generic, gender-neutral term of, of, of respect in, uh, in his day. So he's saying, I'm writing to you, elderly people. Why would he do that if not for the fact that he's writing to an intergenerational community and he wants them to appreciate that they are an intergenerational community? When he says, I'm writing to you, little children, if you're a little child hearing this letter read, you're thinking, I matter to this community. I have something to give this community. It's not that I wait until I'm a big person or that I'm the future of the church. I am the church today. And the church needs me out of my life stage to offer what I have to offer the church. And I think John believed that. So I'd like to think with you for just a moment about the different generations uh, that John addresses. What did they have to contribute that the other generations might miss if they weren't a part of that community? Well, first, little children. What is intrinsic to the experience of being a little child? I think dependency. A little child is utterly dependent. She cannot do for herself very much. In fact, it takes somebody else to change her, to feed her, to dress her, to clean her. And so it's not surprising that John would say, little children, your sins are forgiven. Because the truth is, Jesus gives us God's grace, and before that grace, we are all utterly dependent. 
We can't do for ourselves anything that would absolve ourselves of, of our sin. We're just dependent on God's grace for that. Think about the simplicity of a child's faith. Isn't it at times so easy to forget how simple faith can be if we're just d- dependent on Jesus? I love children, and uh, someone has collected some letters that children wrote to God in a book, and I just thought I'd read a few of them. Dear God, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? Love, Dennis. Another says, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works out okay with me and my brother, Larry. Another, God, how did you know you were God? Who told you, Charlene? I'm wondering if she's thinking someone hasn't yet told her yet. Uh, Dear God, is Reverend Coe a friend of yours, or do you just know him through the business, Donnie? Dear God, what does beget mean? No one will tell me. <laughs> of Marcia. Uh, dear God, I, don't, I do not think anybody could be a better God than you. Well, I just want you to know that. I'm not just saying that because you already are God. That's Charles. He doesn't want God to get a big head, I guess. Or think he's brown-nosing. Little children reveal to us a God of grace on whom we can be utterly dependent. Uh, What do young adults reveal to us? Well, I think what's intrinsic to young adults, you young adults, is courage. Conflict is just a part of young adulthood. Um... That's why I think it's interesting that John says in verse 13b, you have conquered the evil one. Young people, you have conquered. Because he knows that young people are engaged in a fight. Uh, you're fighting for an identity. You're fighting for a home. You're fighting for relationships, perhaps a, a spouse, a, a career. Uh, young adults are fighting, and it takes courage to be a young adult. And some of you know that very well. Young adults bring a kind of an idealism. Uh, to the world. The greatest of all fights for young adults is to live in a world that is worthy of their lives. Young adults see that the world isn't the way it should be. In fact, just the way you prayed for us, Tad, earlier in the service, uh, it reminds us of that. And, I, and actually, a number of our young adults are not here tonight because they're downtown protesting and marching on behalf of refugees. This sounds true to me. So what our young adults teach us is that God is a God of justice. Have courage. What about elders? What do we learn from from you elders? I I think endurance. Elders are those who have lived through a long stretch of time. They've seen people come. They've seen people go. They've seen crises get ugly, and they've seen crises resolve. And through it all, they know that God is faithful. He's never made a promise that he doesn't keep. So John writes to them, verse 13a, you know him who is from the beginning. You have a history, and you know that he was there at the beginning, and he is with us in the middle, and he'll be with us until the very end. God is faithful. And we learn that from our elders. They have endurance. Two elderly men were talking to one another, and one of them said, "Uh, do you want to go for a walk? And the other says, isn't it windy? The first guy said, no, I, I think it's Thursday. The other guy said, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, let's go have a drink then. I'm not sure I got that one right. I've been working on it all day. Thanks, Brian, for laughing. George Burns once said, by the time you're 80 years old, you've learned everything. You only have to remember it. And uh, that's true. 
There's a lot to be learned from the, uh, from the lives and histories of our elderly brothers and sisters. So, so when TJ was pulled across that generational threshold, two things happened for TJ. First of all, he realized that the needs he has as a young adult are not the same needs that an elder adult has. Um, they're different. I, just this Friday at night, uh, I saw an elderly person getting out of a car, and he had to literally lift up each of his legs and pu pull them out of the seat. Um, elderly people just have different needs than you young adults do. And so what that does is it says, hey, uh, it starts to move him along Bernard of Clairvaux's spectrum. It's not just about my needs. I'm actually in a community, and I'm starting to care about other people's needs. So I don't do everything I do because they're my interests. Now I'm broadening them out. The other thing that happened to TJ in that group is he came into contact with people who had a different experience of God than he had. They had a richer experience of God. They, they understood this endurance piece because they were older. And they allowed him to build out a whole other dimension to his idea of, of who God is. That also moves him further along the spectrum because now it's not just uh, uh, about my needs, but it's about who God is. If you want to love God more, you have to see him more clearly, and these women undoubtedly helped him do that. So I want to say something about Catalyst, because John does. Before I do, I want to give you a little bit of a homework assignment. And uh, th there are two things. And the first is this. I want to invite you to form a cohort. you got to be in the school of love to learn the lesson and have a deeper, more mature love. That's what we're doing together during Lent. I want to make sure every one of us is in a small group this Lent. I know we struggle and we resist that. I resist that. I'm an introvert, and some of you are too. But promise me tonight, you'll be in a small group, okay? I want everyone, to, I see heads nodding. Let's all nod. This is, this is what we call manipulation. We are all going to be in a small group. Everything is awesome. Remember the Lego movie, okay? Your small group is going to be awesome. But let's put God to the test. And in order to do that, we need more leaders. We need some facilitators, okay? So as Becca said earlier, if God's nudging you to take a step and thought you'd never do that, hard enough to be in a group but to lead a group, maybe God's calling you to do it. We have a leader orientation at 11.30 a.m. next Sunday. I want you to be there. Uh, the other homework assignment is this. Before you leave tonight, before you leave the school tonight, I want you to find one other person you've never met before that's either 10 years older than you or 10 years younger than you and get their name. Introduce yourself and get their name. So look for somebody who looks absolutely old and say, man, you look really old. You must be 10 years older than me. My name is George, okay? Introduce yourself. You can do that here. You can do that up in Larson Hall after the service. Let's talk finally about the catalyst. Mature love is generated in love stages. Mature love is generated by people in life stages that are different from yours. Mature love finally is generated by a catalyst, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the one in the backdrop of this whole section. Um, think about it. Think about the descriptions, the attributes of these different ages. Well, they're really attributes of Jesus, aren't they? Jesus is the one who forgives our sins. Jesus is the one who's with us from the beginning. Jesus is the one who overcomes the evil one. Even though Jesus isn't a character, physically speaking, in this community, he's, he's, he's invisibly there. He's there, you can't see him, but you see his attributes permeating this multi-generational community. This reminded me of a movie. How many of you have seen the movie Short Term 12? Have any of you seen this? It's an independent film, so not many people have seen it. Short Term 12? Nobody here has seen it? Wow, other services, there have been a few people. Okay. Now, I'm not necessarily saying go out and see it. It's got a lot of adult content in it, and frankly, it's painful to watch uh, in some parts. 
But I love this movie, Short Term 12. Let me tell you briefly what it's about. I won't spoil it for you, but uh, it's about a foster home for children that are just about to age out of the foster care system. It's kind of the worst of the worst. These kids have moved from family to family, and nobody has been able to hold on to them. And so they're in this home. These are kids who've made a lot of bad decisions, and you find out a lot of bad decisions have been made um, by the adults in their lives. It's, they've really been hurt, and they've suffered. The people who are working at this foster care home, they're young adults. The young adults are caring for these children. And it turns out these young adults have also um, made a lot of bad decisions. They make them in front of your eyes in the movie. They've also been um, hurt by people who've made bad decisions around them. One of those uh, characters is named Grace. I don't think that's an accident. Uh, Grace has been hurt. She's hurt others but she's waking up to something wonderful, something beautiful in her life. Now, there's a third generation in the story, but they don't come up until the very end. It's a Latino couple, an elderly Latino couple. They never show up in the movie until the very end. They're never even named. You don't even know that, as it turns out, they are the central character of the whole story. And I won't tell you why, but this couple, turns out they have been foster parents to Grace's boyfriend, and so Grace's boyfriend takes them to this 30-year wedding anniversary party at this Latino couple's home. And as they go through the door, you see the door open, they come into the living room, and this living room is packed with people, every different ethnicity, every different age, young and old. In the center, there's this couple, this elderly Latino couple. What you find out is that this couple has been foster parents to all the people in the room at different times in their lives. That's what's brought them together. These foster parents have been present. In the same way, it seems to me that Jesus is present in our foster family of many generations. And I know you have people in your life who they don't know much about Jesus, and frankly, they may not care about Jesus. But what they see in you, because of what we do together in the school of love, deeply impacts them. They're really getting to know Jesus through you. I like to close with the words uh, that this young man, Mason, Grace's boyfriend, says in that gathering. And I'd like to invite you to picture a scene, picture a living room that's small, but it's filled with 20 or 30 people who are all of different ethnicities and ages, all having been foster uh, children to this elderly couple. And hear these words. Think about what God means to you. Mason raises a glass and he says, I just want to take a moment to say, thank you, Mama Pops. I don't think anyone here thinks of you as just our foster parents. I don't even know what that term means because to me, you are just Ma and Pa. And I think I speak for everyone here when I say, thank you for taking us in, for taking me in when I was just a punk kid who was scared of everything. When I had no one else, you accepted me and showed me what it was like, what it was like to be loved. None of us would be here if it weren't for you. Just look at this beautiful family you made. So let's all lift our glasses to our king and queen. Happy 30th, you guys. Everything good in my life is because of you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
we raise our glass to you tonight. We say everything good is in our lives because of you. Thank you for taking us in. Thank you. We pray tonight that you will help us to appreciate the richness of what it means to be a community of different generations. Particularly at UPC, we thank you for this church. There are not many churches like ours that have the rich diversity of ages that we do. We pray that we will learn all that we can learn from those who are older, those who are younger. And we pray that you'll mature our love so that we might be a people of whom it is truly said, they love so well because they love their God the best. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.